In our fall series, The Battle Within, we've been looking at Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, and most recently looking at chapter 8, where the Apostle Paul is uh, listing for us, uh, making known the divine aid that God has given us so that we can truly experience a sanctified, set-apart, devoted life to the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming God's um, man or woman that he intends us to become. Now, to get to Romans chapter 8, as you read through Romans chapter 7, Paul reveals uh, to us there, in a very transparent way, his battle that he's been waging with his sin nature. The wrong way to look at Romans 7 is to say this, well, if Paul struggled this way and I struggled this way, I guess I'm not that bad. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Stop it. <laughs> it's not how you use that scripture. That scripture is meant to inform us to educate us on the nature of the battle that we face so that when we get to Romans chapter 8, we can begin to embrace the solution that Paul lays out for us. And so I'm going to do a review of Romans 8 thus far, the solution that Paul's laid out for us. And this morning, we're going to continue to see that yet there's another way that God's equipped us so that we can be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So here's review point number one. God, who is able to raise Jesus from the dead, has given you the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live in the new way of the Spirit. You're not doing this thing on your own. You're doing it in the power of God. Amen? And so we cry out to God, and he delivers us, and we ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit, and he fills us with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does works in us that we cannot do in ourselves. Second thing Second way that God has given us divine aid, we looked at this last week. As a child of God, you have the position, the provision, and the privileges to change how you live. You're a family member. God has given you all these things as a family member to, to equip you to become who you intended to be, a sanctified, devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're going to get into what I want to talk with you from Romans chapter 8 this morning. And I want to just kind of spice it up a little bit by asking you a question. Have you ever heard the phrase, well, you haven't seen anything yet? Have you ever heard that phrase? I remember playing a lot of sports, and every now and then one of my opponents would say, you haven't seen anything yet. Like that was supposed to scare me or something. And usually they couldn't live up to the promise anyway, so it didn't matter. But sometimes it's spoken in sincerity. And, and Vicky and I love to go hiking, and every now and then you'll pass somebody, or we'll say this to somebody else, you haven't seen anything yet. It's so gorgeous. It's so good. And it builds your anticipation of what is yet to come. As we continue on in Romans 8 this morning, Paul uses that very kind of language. You basically haven't seen anything yet. And that's supposed to spur us on in our faith. It's supposed to encourage us to live a life of devotion to Jesus, a sanctified life, because we know in the end it will be worth it all. Amen? Because we really haven't seen anything yet. Some of the best is yet to come. Last week ended uh, with verse 17 of Romans 8. And in this particular verse, Paul informs us that we're heirs uh, of God and co-heirs with Christ qualifying this by saying, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And Paul touches on a truth that we really must embrace and acknowledge if we're going to live out our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's this, a sanctified life, a life set apart to the glory of God, does not equate to a trouble-free life. Amen? In fact, I want to say something to you. The more devoted of a follower of the Lord Jesus is, 
chances are very great that you will experience some trouble because of that. You'll face troubles and hardships you didn't even know existed. You're going to be misunderstood if you love Jesus. People are just going to misunderstand you. Uh, you're going to probably be ridiculed some if you're a real outspoken person for Jesus Christ. Frequently, you will be excluded simply because of your love for Jesus Christ. At times, because you love Jesus Christ, the spirit in you will compel you to maybe say something or do something that you really would rather not. Amen? But because you're compelled by the person of the Holy Spirit, you say and do some things you would not otherwise do. And the verses we're going to read this morning from Romans 8 give us a really valuable perspective to remember when we face hardships. I've entitled the the message, You Haven't Seen Anything Yet. And we have to have that perspective. There's a future glory awaiting the follower of Jesus that's indescribably glorious. And that puts our present troubles into perspective. Amen? 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 Do you believe it? Hmm. Yes, one person believes it. So this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 26. So if you want to grab your Bible and read along in your Bible or on your phone, you're welcome to do that. We're going to have the scripture, of course, show up behind me on the screen uh, in, in, in eventually. Um, but remember, this is a continuation this morning of this kind of logic that Paul has been using in Romans 8 uh, of, of laying out for us the equipping that God is making available for us to succeed in this sanctified life. You have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. You have this position and provision and privilege of being a child of God. And now this morning we're going to discover that we have this future glorification, this future moment coming uh, when we're going to just really experience this totality of the Lord God and we're going to be made totally new and creation will be made new and that's a glorious thing to be anticipating. How many of you like Christmas? How many of you don't like Christmas? No, I'm just joking. That was just seeing if anyone would raise their hand. Evidently, the department stores love Christmas since this stuff has been out for six weeks already. Amen. I was really surprised this year to see it go out as early as it did. I thought, wow, you're not even waiting for October to begin, and you get Christmas trees out. This is good. I like Christmas, too. It's one of my favorite seasons of the year. I really like to decorate up my office, and so I put out my tree every year when Christmas comes. There she is. That's my decoration in my office. It has little teeny lights on it. I light it up. I love to celebrate. I go all out, right? You guys don't even know what to say to that. You're looking at my scrawny little tree thinking, who is this dude? I do, like, I do like Christmas. We do it better at home than I do in my office. And I remember as a young boy, I could hardly wait for Christmas every year. I could look through the momentary afflictions and troubles of my life at the time and think, ah, oh, Christmas will be so good. And every year I would anticipate Christmas for months and it never lived up to my anticipation. You've been there with me? Oh, I got a shirt, rats, right? And my mom would say, you need a shirt. Yeah, but I wanted a toy, <laughs> you know, or whatever. It was always a little bit disappointing. Um, now as, as a grandparent and as a parent, I could see the merits of what she gave me. But as a little boy, whew, that was not what I wanted. But what God promises us at the end of the age, 
what we're about to read about in Romans chapter 8 and go through this morning, it will happen. There is a future glorification coming for the believer in God that's indescribably glorious. And it's not just something that we hope will happen, it's something that will happen, and it will exceed anything that you can imagine or visualize or hope for. And I want us to start by reading part of Romans 8 out loud together. We're going to read verse 18. It's going to show up behind me, and we're going to read this out loud together. So read it with me, please. Here we go. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I would encourage you to memorize that scripture because there's one guarantee in life, you will have some sufferings. And there will be times when you're in the midst of your suffering when you need to pray this, God, I know that this present suffering that I'm going through will not compare to the glory that will be revealed in me. Praise be to your name. And it will be the very thing that gets you through that moment in your life. So here's point number one if you're taking notes this morning. Whatever you go through in life, The sufferings that come your way because you are a Christian will not compare to the glory that will be revealed in you. There just is no comparison. So what does glory mean here? Well, glory comes from the Greek word doxa. It means prestige, respect, renown, fame. It's a distinction kind of thing, notoriety, approval. We probably get all these. It's favorable opinion, which is held regarding something. With respect to the believer, then, It signifies the exalted status as objects of divine blessedness. In eschatological terms, end-time terms, it means the eventual transformation of all things into a beautiful condition. So at the end of age, we'll get new bodies. The earth will be recreated as it's meant to be, and everything will be in this beautiful condition. And so, a great description is given for us in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, of the transformation that we'll experience as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in our bodies. Um, it's too lengthy to read, but I want to end with, with a thought that Paul, that Paul makes clear in that particular 1 Corinthians scripture. He notes that what we're to get is not like our natural body. The body we get is not like our natural body. It will be in likeness to the man from heaven he says, which means we'll bear the likeness of Jesus Christ. So here's, here is an exercise I would ask you to participate with me on. Are you ready to do a little exercise, a little mind exercise? When you hear the word Jesus, what do you see in your mind? What comes to you? Do you see a man with a beard in a robe? I'm not saying that's wrong. Is that what you see? I think a lot of us, because we love our Lord Jesus, and he came and put on flesh and became one of us, and he died, you know, in our place, our natural way of looking at him is in that form. We say, yeah, praise be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ who came and put on flesh and took upon himself our sins. Amen, amen, right? Hey, that's a good, that's good. But get this, he's resurrected. And maybe our view and understanding needs to just get a little bit bigger. Paul, in the book of Revelation, John, I should say, in the book of Revelation, not Paul, 
He got a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Listen to this in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Listen to this now. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head, the hair on his head was white as lake wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. There's Jesus, our glorious one. And when we talk about the glory of Christ, we get a little bit of a glimpse of it here in the revelation that John got to experience. And the fact that you and I are told and promised as co-heirs with Christ that we're going to inherit some of this glory ought to make us catch our breath. Like, whoa! And ought to motivate us in following him. So here's our application for point number one this morning. The hope of the glory to be revealed in you as co-heirs with Jesus should motivate you to live a devoted, sanctified life because nothing compares with what is to come. It should motivate you. It should push you through some things that you have to go through. We're not yet experiencing the fullness of this glory. It's a future promise, but it's so to affect our perspective now that even in hard times, there's this hope percolating in our souls that pushes us through some things that are difficult. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 these words, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So now as Paul continues on in Romans 8, he expands on what this future glory will encompass. There is a time coming, he says, when creation will be transformed into what it was meant to be. Everything will be righted once again. Listen to Romans 8. Now, as I continue reading from verses 19 through 25, as now Paul shifts to creation being transformed. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen as no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. If you're a note taker, this is point number two. Creation waits in eager expectation for the day when all is restored. The picture that this is painting for us, this language of eager expectation, is that of a person 
leaning forward in anticipation out of intense interest and desire. I'm kind of a sports fan. Depends on my mood and what team I'm rooting for and all that. I don't know how you watch sports, but sometimes I really get into it. And you're kind of swaying with the players and you're kind of, and you find, you find yourself what? Come on. You're leaning into it, right? You're just, a, you're, you're, you're captivated by what could be. Now, sometimes if you go to some kind of a, a concert, maybe you would experience that. My hope is that at times when you come to church here, you experience that that you lean forward into it. Sometimes when Pastor Kyle is doing the music, well, you're over here in service, so I'm pointing you out. But anyway, it's so good that I find myself just kind of lost in it. And I lean into it, and the truths that are being proclaimed just touch my heart so deeply. And it's just this, this leaning into it. We should be so caught up. But Paul's saying we should be so caught up in this future glorification that's being promised to us and all that it implies that it causes us right now, no matter what we're going through in our life, to lean into that hope. And that brings us through then those hard times. See, the problem is this. Creation is less than it should be. It's less than it should be. It's because of sin. And of course, we too are less than we should be because of sin. And Paul uses descriptive words like frustrated and bondage to decay to describe this present age that we find ourselves living in. And it's a result of sin. And the world suffers because of sin. And we suffer because of sin. In verse 22 through 23, Paul clearly ties creation and us together when he says we're both groaning right now as though we're in childbirth pains. I can't relate to that, but I know my wife can This is point number three. Creation, including you even as a follower of Jesus, is presently in the pains of childbirth. That's our present reality. We are in the pains of childbirth right now. I get lots of images when we talk about childbirth. (laughs) Most of them are good. I'll be honest with you. I got to experience it six times as an observer My wife was a participant, amen? There's a great big difference there, men. Amen? You do not understand, and don't tell her you do, because you don't. You have no idea. If I were to ask any of you ladies who have been pregnant or are presently pregnant, if you would like to exist the rest of your life in that moment right before your gay birth to your child where, you know, the labor's in full force, you can transition, and you got all those contractions going on. And I said, hey, that's a pretty good place to be, isn't it? You would throw something at me. You would say some words to me. And if a husband says to her, that's no big deal, he deservingly should get smacked up. Amen? Birthing is messy business. It's hard. And there's the, the idea here is that we're living in this time, but we shouldn't make our residence here. We shouldn't think this is all there is. That's a mistake. And you know what I notice about birthing? It's just so messy. I went through the moss classes. They are, I don't think they do you any good. I shouldn't say that. 
It was so neat and clean. We're laying in our pillows there and everything else, you know, and everything's so neat and clean. And then we have Elizabeth. And I thought I was prepared. There's blood everywhere. What's up with that? You know, and the kid comes out and she looks terrible. <laughs> right? They're like a prune. They're all kind of squishy. And I go, oh, do you want to hold her? No. She's kind of gross. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, because I did it, we did it with a midwife. I thought I was going to experience this. I said, too much experience, too much experience. You want to cut the umbilical cord? No, I'm going to throw up right now. You know what I mean? And, and then, then, you know, I should have known this. I should have known this. But there's this afterbirth thing, the placenta. And I remember getting Elizabeth and the nurse saying to me, we're not done yet. We're not? I'm done. No, you're not done. any rate, it's nothing to do with this. But I want to give you an analogy today. And I kind of was trying to set up this analogy. I, I call it spiritual insight from childbirth. <laughs> Again, as an observer, I've never done it. There's conception. There's birth pains, and then there's completion of the birth. Amen? Nobody will disagree with me on this. If you do not like this analogy, that's fine. You won't hurt my feelings. But do please listen to the points I'm trying to make with the analogy, okay? So when a child is conceived in her mother's womb, she becomes a person. She is who she is going to be. She has the entire DNA makeup to develop fully into the person that God intends her to be. That's conception. When we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we say yes to that invitation to become a son or daughter, we are conceived spiritually. We call that being born again. And at that moment of conception, you are a child of God. Amen? And he has put in you the spiritual DNA for you to become who he intends you to become. Then the mother goes through nine months or so of, of pregnancy. And the time comes for that baby to be delivered. The time of birth pains, of transition. And the child who has always been a child will now go into a different realm, a different independent kind of existence. The child must be born. And it's painful for mother and child. Child just can't tell you it's painful because they don't know yet. But it's painful. And there's suffering. And My wife just was quiet. She didn't make a lot of noise. But some of the women in there, they scared me to death. They were screaming and hollering. I said, oh, my goodness. Give her drugs. Amen. Do something. Forget the natural birth thing. Help that woman out. Anyway, I'm sorry. Again, that has nothing to do with the message, but I just remember this stuff. And get this. We are living right now in this time of birth pains. It's called this time of sanctification. That's what we've been talking about for weeks here at Grace Point. We are in birth pains right now. It's a messy time. We're going through hardships and troubles, and sometimes we get bloodied up, and sometimes we get bruised up. It's a time of turning our life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and declaring we're his no matter what we're going through. It's this time of setting a part of our lives to the glory of God, and we're becoming fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's hard, amen? It's hard. 
It's like birth pains, but something good is coming on the other side. Amen, something good is coming. And if you've been through some births, then you have completion, and the child's out of the womb, amen? And as gross as they are, you still love them. And there's nothing like mom and dad holding that little baby. I remember first pregnancy we had, there were some complications, so we didn't get to have that experience with her as much. But I remember Bree, she's so little, six pounds, and you're holding her, and I, I'm a little sentimental, but I just, I remember tearing up saying, wow, you're just so beautiful. Really not. <laughs> but to me, you're just so beautiful, and you're mine, and you're precious. And there is a day coming for us that's called glorification. And that's when we become who we're meant to become when everything has come into fulfillment and Christ has returned and we have new bodies without pain, without any kind of mourning, and the earth is regenerated and, and re, remade into what it's meant to be in this time of glorification. It is coming and completion is coming and it's a great hope for us and it's going to be a beautiful thing and it's indescribable and that's what this glorification is all about. So here's our application from this. Realize that this is a time of birth pains. Realize that's what we live in. We live in the time of birth pains. Wait eagerly, lean into that time when you will be glorified. Become all you're meant to become in Jesus Christ because this is supposed to cause us to take heart in times of trouble. In fact, when I was thinking about it, this glorification that's promised to us, it's happening even now in this time of transition, this time of childbirth. And I want to just encourage you to take heart because the Lord will shine through the troubles and brokenness of this present time of birth pains even. Okay? The Lord will shine through the troubles and brokenness of this present time of birth pains. It's a way of preparing us, I think, of of giving us a glimpse and a taste of what is to come. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I, I, I'm going to read to you some scripture from verses 6 through 17. I'm not going to read the thing to you entirely, but listen to this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Then jump down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we're compared in the scripture by the Apostle Paul to jars of clay. I have a jar of clay here. It's pretty, isn't it? It's my wife's. That's why it's pretty. One thing about a jar of clay is it's very fragile. If I were to drop this, it would shatter. It would, it's earthen. It's not very, very tough. And we're told we're like a jar of clay And in this life, as we've talked about, 
here, we're going to experience some things during this time called transition, this time of birth pains, and it's going to cause sometimes holes in our lives and brokenness and some scars and some wounding. And our vessel, our earthen vessel, becomes full of some marks. And the, the, the cool thing about this is that these are the very places where God will often shine brightest in our lives if we allow him to. It's often through the brokenness that he shines and shows himself to be strong on our behalf in ways that we could never imagine. And the very things that we think are, are, are something to get over, he's using to create in us a glimpse of his glory. And his light, we're told here in the scripture, shines through us. It shines out of those very places of woundedness and brokenness if we understand it and embrace it and let him do this transformative work in us that he wants to do in us. And this gives us an, a glimpse, a taste of what's to come at the end of age when we have glorified bodies. Amen? And I, whenever I think of that scripture, I think, yeah, God, I'm just an earthen vessel. I'm so fragile, so weak. And at times I feel like I've just been busted apart. And when I call on your name and I rely upon you in the middle of that, then your light shines through me. And it gives me and others a taste of this glory that awaits all of us. Amen? Paul basically takes us to this very kind of thinking at the end of Romans, to this idea of, of weakness, but that God's there for us. Listen to what he says in Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of the Lord. And I, I don't think Paul's left the childbirthing analogy here. When you're having a child, again, I can only relate to this. I have not experienced it. Oftentimes you have people around who help you. You have a midwife that helps you. That's what we did with our first child. And they're there to help you in your vulnerability because you're not strong at that point and you need help. And, you know, the husband's supposed to help the wife and everyone's supposed to kind of rally around her during this time of vulnerability, this time of delivery, this time of travail. And what the Lord is saying through the Apostle Paul is that in the middle of your travailing, in the middle of your birth pains, the Holy Spirit is there. And he will gird you up and he will hold your hand and he will do deep works of intercession for you that you don't even know how to pray for. And he will pray for the will of the Father to be accomplished in you even though you don't even know what to pray because you are in a time of birth pains. The Holy Spirit will be like your midwife. Amen? And here's an assurance I want to end with today. You are in the capable care of the Holy Spirit he intercedes on your behalf. Rely on him to sanctify you then through and through. Just rely on him to do that which you cannot do in yourself.